everyone. This is Daryl Rowan. I'm the senior editor of the Columbus Dispatch. How are you doing today? This is a podcast on a topic we've been looking into uh, for much of the year. It's healthcare consolidation. Specifically, uh, for this podcast, we are looking at doctors who were in the private sector. Uh, now they are working uh, for a hospital, and we have a great example of that today. Dr. Anita Samani, you uh, you may have heard of her, uh, you may have seen her uh, in various forums, but uh, she's certainly well known in the Columbus area. Doctor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Daryl. Thank you. And why did you tell us? Um, how, how did you get that doctor in front of your name? A little bit of family <laughs> influence, I understand, may be at play here. Absolutely. You know, it's funny that you said that. Um, I have been in practice here in Columbus for 29 years. And as you probably know, um, my father was at, he was at, he was in academic medicine at the Medical College of Ohio, which is now the University of Toledo Medical, or Medical College School of Medicine, I think is the new name. But when he was there and Governor Voinovich came into office, they asked him to join his cabinet as the director of health. And the, one of the bribes they used was, well, your first grandchild was just born. Why don't you come to Columbus? It'll be so much better. You'll get to spend more time with your grandson. So, yes, that was the first generation. Parents came here. My dad came here, actually, in the 60s to pursue a Ph.D. at Dennis MD in India. And then the next generation is now my daughter is pursuing the same specialty of EGYN. She's up at Toledo. She's a third-year OBGYN resident and absolutely loves it. But her perspective is obviously very different from my perspective when I was in medical school and residency and all the changes, you know, that have happened over the last 29 years. Well, let's jump in and talk about some of those changes. As we say, we're, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, 20, when, you know, when you first, uh, you know, joined practice, hung up your shingle, so to speak. Um, going into private practice was was probably the, the main thing. But certainly we've seen a shift in, in this country to where, and one of the reasons I'm writing this, the, the whole story about this, the, uh, the AMA, the American Medical Association, had released their uh, uh, stu- annual study this past May, I think it was, this year anyhow, but for the first time, less than a majority of doctors in America are in private practice. So why don't you trace a little bit of your uh, career evolution, how you started out, and and, uh, how you ended up where you are now? Yeah, so I um, came to Columbus for my residency, and during those four years, most of the physicians we worked with were in private practice. Some of them were solo practitioners, some of them were in group practices, but nobody had a hospital-based practice. You know, the the idea of laborists and hospitalists were something that didn't really happen until probably the last 10 years, if I, 10, 15 years, if I had to guess. Most, even in other specialties, you know, we saw the family doctor who came in to see their patients when they were hospitalized. They took care of them, you know, both in the hospital and in the outpatient setting. Same thing with internal medicine and with pediatrics. You know, all of the specialties kind of went back and forth between the hospital and the office. So that was the model we were used to. That was the model that we thought would go into the idea of private practice. Very few physicians at that point were employed. Back in the day, I don't know if you remember, there was a group health, oh, what's it called? Um, primary care. It was, a, it was a group that started out as like an HMO model. And since then, we have like Central Ohio Primary Care is probably the best example of that where people are in private practice, mm-hmm. but they all are billing under one tax ID. They have one group that sort of manages the, the business aspects, but then people still get to keep their own private practices. 
So that that was sort of that combination model. We're not employed by by the hospital, but we do have the the joy or the advantage of having big numbers that can then negotiate contracts with insurance companies and less money than is spent on the business part of medicine, you know, getting pre-certs or getting um, bills paid, you know, getting the administrative part of it is sort of consolidated into one place and one space for all of the private physicians that are part of that group. Same thing if you think about Avena, it's an OBGYN group that similarly, you, you go to your OBGYN thinking they're in private practice, but they're part of this model where it's one tax ID and everybody's under that tax ID, but you don't recognize that, whereas there is also now like OPG, which is Ohio, Physi- Ohio Health Physicians Group, which is what I now belong to, and that's a hospital under a, you know, just like Mount Carmel and OSU have their hospital-owned physician practices. So there's two different models here in Columbus, but again, when I started, the goal was you either went into practice for yourself or you joined a group, you know, an older physician was slowing down or retiring and, you know, that's how people built their practices. Mm -hmm. And so I, the first two years I was in practice, I was in a group practice and then kind of decided at that point that I was ready to, like, start my own practice. I don't know what possessed me to do that, but um, I thought, you know what, it'd be challenging, it'd be exciting, I would be my own boss, you know, I wouldn't have to have anybody else kind of looking over my shoulders. So the hospitals at that time had basically people who had physicians, I don't want to call them guys, but what they did was they helped physicians set up practices. Their, the, the role that they had was to help you find like space where you could practice, and you weren't owned by the hospital, but you would plan, you know, the, the goal was, okay, you'd have loyalty to the hospital and you'd bring patients there. So I had um, a woman at Mount Colonel St. Anne, Jenny Forrester, that helped me set up my practice, helped me find, and there was a woman who I knew already who offered to be my office manager, billing manager, front desk, you know, scheduler, everything. Luckily, my husband is a financial planner, so he's like, well, I can do your books. And that's how we started. You know, we had, I had one full-time employee, I had a part-time nurse, a part-time MA, found a uh, location and basically hung my shingle out and, you know, started out by doing talks and um, educational events and going to churches and going to the hospital. They used to have different educational classes, you know, whether it was on hormone therapy or on fibroids, just different things. And, And some of that stuff has all kind of gone away too, which is bad. But that's how I started. I, you know, had friends that were family docs and internal medicine docs. And, you know, I said, you know, here, I'm, I'm doing OB, you know, where I'm located. You know, if you want to refer patients, that would be wonderful. So it was all kind of word of mouth and just so slowly over 10 years building my practice. I had another um, doc that we shared call. And then I ended up hiring another physician to join me. And then the three of us ended up merging practices. So that's kind of how I had named my practice comprehensive women's care, but that's how we kind of established our, our group practice. Fast forward now, you know, 10 years go by, and we're, we're, you know, hiring people to join us and kind of working through that process. And we kept hearing, you know, that people wanted lifestyle. They wanted bigger groups. They wanted um, more flexibility. And that's, in OB, that's hard to do with a smaller practice. So that became more and more of a challenge as time went on. We had, at one point, we had six physicians, 
and one left to become a laborist up in Cleveland, one left to do high-risk um, maternal fetal medicine. Um, and then another one, her husband was in um, was working at Children's. And so she felt like she couldn't really juggle um, kids and her husband's schedule and her schedule. So she actually ended up becoming more of an in-house physician or laborist here in town. So kind of started to see the writing on the wall probably about 10 years ago that the the old school model of private practice was sort of going away. The And you probably see this across all specialties and across all things. People are so much busier and there's less of a divide between home and work nowadays, you know, with especially with the pandemic, you know, more and more people have been working from home. Mm-hmm. You have constant ability to like check emails and do Zoom meetings and do this and do that. So there's that there's that line has been blurred so much that I think it really has in one way it's more stressful, in other ways it may be easy. But I do think that that's been part of the impetus between people saying, okay, as a an employee physician, if I'm a laborist or if I'm a hospitalist, I work my shifts and I go home and I don't have to take work home with me and I don't have to worry about patients because there is another physician there who's equally qualified caring for them. Okay. So you saw the writing on the wall and doctors are getting being harder and harder to retain. So what what did you do next? So our next step, you know, we hired nurse practitioners to kind of help um, with seeing patients in the office. It didn't help, obviously, with the call schedule and with doing obstetrics. So we um, were, our group was one of the first groups to get into minimally invasive robotic surgery. We started doing robotics in 2009, so we were a little ahead of the curve. Um, robotics was approved for urology in 2005, and then in gynecologic oncology a couple years after that. And then they started reaching out. Then they expanded into urology and then into GYN cancer, GYN oncology, and then finally into um, the next round, which was benign GYN. So we're doing you know, minimally invasive robotics for patients that need hysterectomies, patients with endometriosis, patients that have fibroids, you know, all things that I know you're totally aware of, right? But um, most of the common problems that women deal with, I guess, Mm -hmm. is the best way to put that. So, you know, so again, because we were ahead of the curve, it was an easy transition to then say, maybe we should look at doing GYN only. Most traditional practices Physicians practice the OB obstetrics usually till about, you know, age 55, 60. At that point, you just can't get up and function in the middle of the night or you find it harder and harder to work the next day. Mm. So most people start at that point transitioning into, you know, their patients have aged with them. So they start doing just GYN and leave the obstetrics to younger docs in their practice. However, that model is also changing. And we'll have to talk about that in terms of OBGYN. But... Um, we we were approached, we started talking to Ohio Health um, because of the volume of uh, minimally invasive surgery we do because of the outcomes that we have. And patients go home the same day. They um, don't have to be in the hospital. And as you know, a lot of healthcare payments are global payments. So, for example, a surgeon that has a patient that stays in the hospital for two or three days, the hospital gets paid the same amount as the surgeon who's able to send their patients home that within six hours of surgery or within 24 hours of surgery. So the hospital 
from a financial standpoint that, okay, you know, yeah, the robotic tool is more expensive, but the outcome for us is better because we're not now tying up a bed. We don't have nursing care involved. You know, we're sending these patients home right away. So there, you know, for them, it was a win-win to say, okay, you know, we'll, we'll buy your practice and we'll kind of set you up as the group that does minimally invasive surgery within Ohio Health. So that's sort of what our goal is right now is to become that. You know, hospitals everywhere, like Cleveland Clinic taking over the whole northeast end of Columbus, or north, yeah, northeast end of Ohio. Mm-hmm. We've got, you know, Cincinnati down in the south and Tri-Health down there. We've got in Columbus the three major systems, you know, Trinity, well, Trinity is not Carmel's parent, but right. um, Ohio State, Ohio Health, and then um, Trinity. So all of these systems are starting to look into buying up smaller hospitals, you know, just around the state. So for Ohio Health, it was, okay, we'll set you up, and then, you know, you we, you all can do the surgeries for these patients. And it helps patients to have high-volume surgeons doing their surgery because, you know, again, robotics is a tool, and if you're only doing it a couple times a month, you're, you're not going to be as efficient. You're not gonna, your outcomes aren't going to be as good as somebody who does it every week. So mm. that's, that's sort of how we switched and moved on from doing obstetrics to doing GYN. It all happened in the pandemic. There were so many changes during that during the you know that whole year that it was it was hard. I mean, delivering babies is a huge part of being an obstetrician, and giving that up was really really hard. And I, you know, it just didn't feel like I was ready for it. But then six months after I gave it up, I was like, oh, now I know what it feels like to not be sleep deprived. Mm. So this all took place in 2020? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we started doing robotics in 2009 just as a practice right, right. and kind of slowly developed a reputation and a referral base from, you know, not only other, like, other specialties, but also other GYNs that, you know, had more complex cases or patients that had heard about robotics. So we sort of started developing our own referral patterns in that regard and, and then, in 2020, we started talking to Ohio Health before the pandemic, okay. but ended up getting bought out in September of 2020. Okay. Well, I guess I should say happy anniversary on that, I guess, or close to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's coming close. Wow. So aside yeah. from actually getting sleep, how has life changed for you in, in terms of the practice of, of, of medicine, doctor? So I think the biggest difference between private practice and employed practice is the business part, the business side. So if you think about it, most of us go to medical school to learn medicine. We don't learn business. So in order to be successful as a private practitioner, owning a private practice, you also have to learn the business of it. And that wasn't as complicated. It wasn't as complex. Back in, you know, if you think back to the 70s and 80s, even like when I started in the early 90s, there weren't as many insurance companies, there weren't as many um, loopholes, you know, the idea of um, pharmacy benefits, you know, all these things that sort of now are layers of what has become part of the business of medicine. You know, when you think about how much time billing people spend getting claims paid, you know, or you think about the amount of time that as an administrator, you're having to focus on human resources or things like, you know, employee performance and things like that. That was that was much 
to me, it seemed like it was much simpler when I first started in practice compared to now. You know, now you have to do performance evaluations. You have to, you know, it used to be, you know, you have three employees and you could be like, okay, can you do this a little better? Can you change that? And now, you know, people want reviews and raises. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a really different mm-hmm. environment. There's a, there's a lot more, I feel like, as a private practice that, you have to do that you probably didn't do in the past or it wasn't expected. So that was a a huge change with not having to worry about employee satisfaction, not having to worry about doing employee performance reviews or somebody was being difficult, having to sit down and talk to them, you know, about their behavior, about their attitude or whatever it may have been. So, you know, all that, like that, that aspect of running a practice is gone by being an employee physician. So again, I, it, in some ways it's great for me, you know, as I, as I'm coming to sort of the, you know, the, what you call the pre-retirement years, I guess, you know, the, the years when you're like, okay, what, what, when do I think I want to retire? The next five years, the next 10 years, you know, you start to kind of have a plan in place. So for me, it's wonderful because I don't have to think about that. So I would say the other big change that's happened is when you talk to residents, the model that they see is mostly employed physicians. You know, whether you're employed by, you know, like I mentioned, like a group like COPC or you're um, employed by a group like Avena, you aren't seeing people, you know, going out there and putting out their shingle or you aren't seeing people starting a practice from scratch or being part of a smaller practice. So... What they're seeing, and I mean, my my own daughter said to me, you know, Mom, I don't want to be in a small group. I don't want to work as hard as you did. And, you know, she's very much like, I want to work hard. I want to do this, but I also want a life outside of my practice. So I get it. And Mm -hmm. most of us don't go into medicine to be business people. So, again, like being a business administrator or effectively hiring people or effectively managing people, unless you have an interest in that or you do extra, you know, whether you do a master's or you do extra work to learn how to do that, it's not something that, like, if I wanted to do that, I should have gone to business school, right? You know, I sh- it's not about going into medicine. Yes. So I think that those things have really, it's changed what physicians, and, and as residents, you know, their hours are much more structured. They have night float. They're not working the shift that we did where you worked overnight, worked the next day, and then went home. But when you see physicians doing that in practice, you know, you're like, I don't want to work that hard. I don't want to be, like, on call one night and then go to the office the next day. But 30 years ago, everyone did that, so no one questioned it. Mm, okay. So tell me about the – now, you may be a little bit exception to, to the role here of a typical practice because, you you know, you had your own specialty, you were already established. You know, some of the people raise questions about this trend. Uh, they talk about doctors giving up their autonomy, their ability to practice medicine as they see fit, if, you know, if, uh, you know, if – Aunt Sarah or whoever, you know, you need to spend an hour with her and maybe part of that's just holding her hand. You can't really do that if you're you're working for a hospital because, um, again, I, I don't know what you face, but I, I hear about production quotas and, you know, rules on procedures, pressure to get tests, heads in beds because, as you say, that's where hospitals make money, you know, so... A lot of a lot of those sorts of questions are, are what I'm hearing. So again, it may not be your personal experience, but certainly you're you know you're well versed in the field. What do you think are critiques like that? So 
sure that exists. I mean, I'm in a, you know, our specialty, of all the specialties in medicine, OBGYN is probably more preventative than, if you think about women's health and how we practice, I mean, we do preventative care when it comes to prenatal care. We do preventative care when it comes to annuals and pap smears and, mm-hmm. you know, mammograms and screening, you know, just for various cancers. So, so our... Our goals as a specialty are probably very different than when you think about, like, cardiology or internal medicine or or those Mm -hmm. types of specialties where you are seeing more of what you're talking about, like, you know, ordering tests or putting people in the hospital, that that kind of thing. So I, um, I can't speak to that as much, but I do know that, like, we are now on this, like, production based model based on RVUs. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens, like, at the end of my first year, you know, as far as um, bonuses and things like that. Um, I, you know, at this point, I'm not as concerned about that aspect of it because our, we are high-volume surgeons. I know that I'm meeting my RBUs, but I think that if I was just coming on, if it was early on in my career, it might be different. I might be more concerned, like, oh, my gosh, what do I need to do? How do I how do I build this up? You know, how do I make things happen? I think, I mean, to be honest, I think hospital systems can be very different, you know, in terms of how they treat their physicians. So, fortunately, so far, I haven't seen anything to suggest that we're not treated fairly, but I do know from, you know, talking to people in other parts of the country, from talking to people in other systems, that... That is a, it can be a really big issue that you are expected to meet, you know, certain production or see a certain amount of patients or do a certain amount. The idea of the hospital part of it is also sort of going away in the sense that in internal medicine, like if I'm, if I'm an internist or a family doctor and I need to admit someone to the hospital, they get admitted to the hospital group. So like there's two groups at, at Riverside or at Ohio Health that will manage patients within, like, while they're hospitalized. So I think that is also a little, you know, different from what I remember, like what, you know, the old-fashioned docs, like the ones that would go see their patients in the morning at the hospital and then come see patients in the office, and they knew their patients much better. So maybe there was less tests that were ordered. And then, you know, when you have the hospital that's managing your patient in the hospital, they're the ones who then are ordering the tests and stuff. So, again, it's not that the person who's maybe, you know, employed by the hospital but only does outpatient, their their goals are different or how they're measured are different. Well, let me back up. Because you talked about, you know, you heard, you know, doctors and other systems, maybe other places, about that production pressure. But did I hear you right when you say you are actually on a production-based model yourself? Right, so we get a salary, and then we have a bonus based on if we go over. And honestly, I, I feel bad because I don't really know, like, what. I, I know I was told all of this when I signed the contract, but I didn't pay attention to the details per se. So I get a salary. I have a set salary. And then if I go a certain percentage above the RVUs that, like, are attributed or whatever the national average is, Help me out now. RVUs? RVUs are the the way that what Medicare came up with how much things were worth. Okay. So, so for example, it, it stands for a relative value unit and basically determines how you 
do reimburse providers. Okay, so you have a base salary, and if you know if you go over your RVUs by a certain percentage, then you'll you'll get a bonus. Get a bonus. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now some people may hear that and say, "Well, now, okay, you're a good doctor, and you won't abuse that." But what about the you know the the next person, the next doctor, who says, "Wow, if I just crank people through, I'll make more money." Yeah, I I don't know how to answer that. I think that. Everybody has a different level of efficiency, and I think that at a certain point, you can only be so efficient or crank so many people through in a day. And I don't, I think part of the thing that I love about medicine is the relationships you develop with patients. And so it's, it's hard to see someone doing that just for the purpose of, but, and there probably are people like that that are like, I just want to make money, I'm just going to crank, you know, I'm going to crank through, but... I don't think most of us go into medicine for that. Most of us go into medicine because we genuinely want to take care of people and we want to, you know, do the best we can and and have those. I think if you don't want those relationships and stuff, you choose a specialty that doesn't really, like, you don't have to worry about that. Oh, well, yeah. What do you feel, I mean, I know it's not been a year. uh, I mean, do you feel you've been able to to maintain that level of relationship with with your patients that, that you're comfortable with? Right now, yeah. as far as an employee position, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. In fact, it's interesting that you you brought that up because now the way my schedule works, I actually have more time per patient than I did when I was in private practice, and I think part of that has to do with the fact that because we're not doing obstetrics anymore, like our prenatal visits used to be, you know, shorter in time because. You know, those patients are coming in monthly or they're coming in every two weeks or weekly, so they didn't they didn't need as much time. And so that part of it has changed. Like I'm seeing less patients in a day, but I have more time with each patient, whereas before I saw some patients more frequently than others. Like it wasn't just a yearly visit, it was the prenatal visits that were more sure. frequent. Sure. Okay. All right. Well that sounds good. Guess what I would say also, I was thinking about this. When I started, you know, in the early 90s, there was that whole mentality of oh, medicine's changed, you know, it's not the same as it used to be, you know, this is so different. And I think every generation says that. Like, I look at it now and I think, you know, it's so different. Like you said, it's, it's now where the majority of physicians are employed. That's a very different model. It creates a different mentality. It creates a different sort of ownership of what you do and, and how you are, um, but change is not always bad, right? I mean, sometimes it's for the better. That's going to do it for our podcast today. I want to thank Dr. Samani for her time and uh, all her insights into telling her story and her journey of some 28 years as an OBGYN in private practice and then uh, her past year in an entirely different role as an employed physician with Ohio Health here. So, hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, hope you learned as much as I did. So, thanks for listening. Daryl Rowland, the senior editor of The Dispatch, saying see you next time. 